NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Welcome to Mojo Sports Network. This is the AFL Show. It is round 21. Can you believe it? I cannot believe we are already here. I am joined today by Yuri Bilicic. Yuri, how are you today? Great, Julian, and great to chat with you as always and sort of unpack yet is going to be another riveting round of football. Absolutely. I feel like every round is absolutely riveting. And um, yeah, your analysis last week was pretty accurate. Jeez, we dissected the games really well. I noticed that we we said GWS were a chance against the Bulldogs. We said Carlton were a chance against the Magpies. Jeez, we had some good tips in there. So make sure you listen to today. <laughs> we're going to dissect all the team changes and Yuri's tips for the matches this round. All right, starting with Friday Night Football, it is a big one. Western Bulldogs versus Richmond at Marvel Stadium. In for the Bulldogs comes Ed Richards, James O'Donnell, and Liam Jones. And out for the Bulldogs goes Alex Keith, Josh Bruce, sadly with an ACL, Luke Cleary, and Ryan Gardner. In for Richmond comes Jacob Bauer, Jaden Short, Noah Cumberland, and Toby Nankervis, and begins there. Out goes Ben Miller, omitted, Sam Banks, omitted, Ryan Mansell, omitted, and then Dustin Martin and Trent Cochin both managed. Managed in a big game. And Milestone, as we said last week, when Short actually didn't make the team, Jaden Short is playing his 150th. Yuri, Bulldogs versus Richmond. How do we call this one? Yeah, they're always close games, Julian. And I think we saw early this season, the round four encountered the MCG. It was close throughout. I think in the first half, the Bulldogs threatened to really widen the gap between the two teams. It was 29 points early in the second quarter. Then Richmond went on their old Tiger traditional barnstorming runs, right? They kicked was it eight goals in the second quarter, had a, I think it was a 13-point lead at halftime. And then... The rain set in after what was a pretty high-scoring first half of football and it was basically a war of attrition from there. Both sides really lifting the contested ball and through the clearances, but ultimately, of course, with the Bulldogs just getting home by five points, even though the Tigers did make it so close. I think it was in the final 33 seconds with Shea Bolton snap around the corner from, I think it was about 40 or 45 metres out, which gave the Tigers just that flickering hope. So I think going into tomorrow night's game, Julian, too, the question mark as well for the Dogs, because I did watch the full game against the Giants, is the clearance count. Because the first half, they completely pants the Giants. And then one move, that's all it took for the Giants to work themselves gradually into the game. Mm. And that was by putting Callum Ward on his former teammate, Marcus Bontempelli. Oh, yeah. sorry, not former teammate, but used to play for the Dogs, on Marcus yeah. Bontempelli. And Bontempelli, right, 13 touches in the first qu- quarter. The rest of the game, he only had 14. And you saw very closely how Callum Ward was sticking by him. And I think there was great footage that was shown as well, just detailing how the Dogs' stoppage game completely broke down because Bontempelli wasn't able to get to those contests. It was mainly left up to Libba. And if the Tigers can sort of implement the same method, although they don't normally tend to tag, though, the Tigers, so that may be an area where they may have to throw up something unpredictable in a way. Maybe today Paul Marlon Pickett on, where he's, of course, for the last month has been playing as a defensive forward. Maybe just to change it up ever so slightly because the Giants' strategy worked last weekend and I think Richmond do have the same ploy to go with it and try and make life as difficult as well for the Bulldogs. And as long as they can even up the stoppages as the Giants did in that second half, in there every chance. The other part for the Bulldogs too, Julian, is I think defensively, and it has been a critique for them when the game isn't on their terms, is defending the ground and defensive transition. And that's where they really got themselves in trouble against the Giants because they're all scattered all around the place. They're trying to pick up their man. They'll 
passive at the best of times, trying to whether they should go up to close the space or go back to clog up the Giants' Ford 50. And ultimately, they were just caught in two minds. And the Giants punished them as they have been doing so often this season, especially during their seven-game winning streak. So I think, as we very well know, Richmond are renowned once they get going with the Tiger speed ball of movement and whether it's through hands or whether it's through foot. So those are, I think, the real posing question marks that the Tigers can put up on the Bulldogs. But, of course, they almost have the same Achilles heel as the Bulldogs defensively as well, the Tigers, because... Offensively, since Mini, Andrew McCloughton took over ahead of the round 11 clash against Port Adelaide, their scoring numbers have gone up by, I think, about plus 10 points. So they'll average about 77 under Dimmer for the first 10 weeks before Hardwick ultimately resigned on May 23rd. And since McCloughton took over, they're averaging about 87.2 points. So offensively scoring and putting points on the board, that's not the worry. It's the defensive aspect where, where they get themselves caught out and where teams can catch them out. Even though Nick Vlosten is such an architect for their defensive intercepting and rebound game, so is Noah Bolter, right? He's, what, I think first still in the competition for intercept marks this season. So they not rely heavily, but there's so much emphasis on those two cutting out opposition foray attacks. So if they can get on top of Aaron Norton and Jamara Yugo Hagen tomorrow night, because Sam Taylor was terrific and we'll talk about more about the Giants later on in the show then that's their real best chance of winning Richmond because the other part too with the dogs Julian their 450 pressure in terms of tackling isn't that great and the ball tends to get out there very easily and very quickly and they can't seem to find a method which allows them to retain the ball in their forward half for long enough to put pressure on the opposition and eventually get a free kick or whether get a goal from a stoppage. So those are the areas I think that the Tigers can exploit the dogs in too. And I think it's unusual, right, Julian, that both teams do love to play quick and it's at Docklands, but over the last whatever handful of years, it hasn't been very high scoring games. And that's unusual, right? Because we've seen some classics over the years. We think you had know, drawn game back in round five, 2008. We think of, what, round 7, 2017? I think it was a great 2016 game as well on the Saturday night there at Docklands. So I think there's nothing but it's going to be set up to be an absolutely corker of a game. And Julian too, I think, like you, I'm mystified at why the Tigers have decided to both rest Cochin and Martin. Isn't that a bit puzzling? What mm, do you think about it? Absolutely. big. Sounds like a big game to be resting two superstars. Yeah, it is. And that's the baffling question why would Richmond do it when they're basically in the thick of the top eight hunt and I think if if they go down tomorrow night then not not to sort of point the entire finger but some blame has to be put upon why they decided to go down this path because again we've seen Tim Taranto have an excellent season Jacob Hopper's slowly rounding into form after his long injury layoff and they still got an array of weapons that can float through the midfield. And even up forward, they've basically gone back to that smaller forward setup now with basically Smalls, of course, with Liam Baker predominantly playing more as a small forward to really accompany Jack Rewald at ground level and Shea Bolton floating through the middle and also at times resting at forward. So again, everything's there for the Tigers, but that is something that 
I think every Richmond supporter, yeah, definitely has question marks over going into the game. But I think it's just going to be another crack of a contest, right? And there should be plenty of goals under the roof. That's what Docklands presents. And mm. both teams have definitely have got deficiencies in a way, like every other side. But I think for both of them, at the best of times, defensive transition is where you can get both of them. So it really depends on, of course, who defends better, but also in the stoppages as well. That's where it's going to come down to for mine. We're going to move over to Adelaide Oval. It's Adelaide versus Gold Coast Suns. For the Crows, James Borlace and Josh Rochelle are in. Out for the Crows is Jordan Butts, Luke Pedler, and Rory Sloan. And out for the Gold Coast Suns is Took Miller. Both of these teams, as underdogs last week, had some big wins. Gold Coast, was, oh God, they were both surprising, but I thought Gold Coast against Brisbane was a big surprise. And Adelaide against Port as well. Gee, they played some fantastic footy. Tex Walker in unbelievable form. I would like to say Adelaide against the Suns at Adelaide Oval, but you never really know in footy these days. Yuri, how do we unpack this one? Yeah, I think likewise too, Julian. I think, again, Adelaide needed to get the win that was desperately needed, right? And especially in showdown 54 in front of a packed house and what they emphatically did, right, to just shred apart Port Adelaide. And, of course, we can all point to that nasty collision incident with Aaliyah Lee and Lockie Jones and whether Aaliyah Lee, of course, still felt the after effects of that big hit because Tex Walker just ran right once more with seven goals on the night. And it's just... The whole speed of ball movement where Adelaide, when they're at their scintillating best, that's when they just display the tremendous football, which has got them to where they are. And I think Gold Coast, from what we've seen, is basically a whole shift in just trying to be more creative with the ball, right? And mm. I think that was probably the areas where under Stuart Jew that they really became stagnant. And that was the issue, I think, as sort of, the weeks went on too and they just couldn't quite form a consistent identity as a side that they really want to go for because I think when you look at their overall nucleus, it can match it. But at times, I think over the last couple of weeks and both of us have talked in depth about it is there are a 5 to 10 or 15-minute patch there where they go missing and they get blown out with three or four goals kicked against them and the game's effectively over. So mm. that's another area to sort of look out for. And Took Miller's suspension, right, that only came through, what, 10, 15 minutes ago, right? Because there was debate about it on footy classified with the latest reports and Dane Zorko speaking on SEN Queensland as well about the incident too where basically Miller grabbed him by the nuts, right, and he told he told the umpire, you've got to report him, right? So I think, of course, those two have had their spiteful rivalry for, what, the last five years and counting. So that's a big big enough loss for Suns because Took's job on Lockie Neal last Saturday, he just physically outran him, just tried to use his aerobic capacity to absolutely full extent. And you could see Neil was basically just languishing behind him. There was footage yeah. there. He was basically 100 metres. He just could not go with him. And mm, I think, yeah, it's a major loss too for the Suns because if, of course, he had done that instant during the third quarter and he was, of course, be playing against Adelaide on Saturday, which, of course, he isn't. But he will have had one of those roles on, say, probably maybe a Rory Laird, I'd say, as well, to go with and really try and shut out his influence. But, of course, they don't have him now for that. So, again, the other one I'm sort of surprised about is Luke Pettler's omission. That's the big one because he had a very impactful game last week and we spoke about too the impact of the small forwards without both Josh Rochelle and Isaac mm. Rankine and he stepped up, right, and Lockie Murphy too and they just 
ran circles around Port Adelaide's defense. So it was really well done from the Crows. Of course, Rochelle is back from that two-game suspension. So that's even better news for the Crows. And I think, yet again, something that just on the Gold Coast Suns too, under Stephen King, the tackling and the pressure around the contest has been about 10 times better as it's been all season, right? And that has been a strong point, I think, that they've really brought into us a collective to get better in that area because if you do it, then you give yourselves every chance of winning. So they may bring that again for the full 120 minutes, but like Adelaide's done to every team at the Adelaide Oval this season, blow them out in the first quarter and you're left to play catch-up. So Gold Coast can't afford to have that. And I just feel, yet again, I think just that extra potency of attacking weapons that Adelaide have got, I think, will just be too strong in the end for mine. Yep, completely agree. We are going to move on to the next Saturday game, which is Essendon versus West Coast. Essendon at Marble Stadium. I think this is their third game in a row at Marble. Um, versus the Eagles, who are coming, to, uh, coming after a win. Wow, the, the Eagles, they got it done against the Kangas. Just. Um, so for the Essendon Bombers, Elijah Satsis is in. Out goes Alwyn Davey Jr. and Will Snelling omitted. And for the West Coast Eagles, in comes Jeremy McGovern and Josh Rotham. Out goes Dom Sheed with an injury. Rhett Bazo managed and Shannon Hearn managed as well. With it and playing his 100th game and Mason Redman playing his 100th game. Two key defenders for their respective sides. I would like to say Essendon cruise through to win this one. I think West Coast have had their final win for the year. What do you think, Yuri? Yeah, likewise too, Julian. And I think this is going to be one of the other interesting points, I think, going into the game because their round 11 clash, West Coast went to this very conservative chip mark style of game, which did work for probably a good half of football. And then afterwards, Essendon just slowly started to pick apart West Coast defence and eventually the Eagles league started to tire and eventually ended up winning by 50 points, which I think is their largest win in person. I think about round 21, 2001. So they just found the method in the end, the Bombers, that worked well for them. And I think West Coast will probably resort to the same tactics once more come Saturday's clash under the roof at Docklands. So I think that's another area to look at too. And mm. Essendon, of course, with their chip mark style of game where they just like to work the ball through their back half and eventually once they just find just the tiniest gap to attack, then they will. And so I think that's, of course, where West Coast have sort of really broken down during these last very difficult two years for them, probably in the club's long history. So yeah. I think maybe that's the other area to sort of look at too. And up forward as well, I think Peter Wright should surely have a field day, right, with Tom Barras being <laughs> out with a back injury. Yeah, You stole the words the... out of my mouth, Yuri. You are smart. <laughs> I'm looking at that Jerry McGovern. I'd see Elliot Yo listed as centre-back, and that reminds me of the Kerno match that we talked about. <laughs> oh, dear. We got Wright and Langford in that forward line. Oh, dear. Well, look out. Yeah. I think I think they better start licking their hands and just getting ready for a big bag because that's right. Again, I think if Red Bazo had been playing, that's that would right. be an absolute nightmare, right? But of course, <laughs> he's been rested, so he doesn't have to worry yeah. about that. And yeah, he touched on extremely well too, Julian. That Elliot Yo, I think it was yeah, back in round seven against Carlton, had to play on Kerno <laughs> because he already towered up three opponents. So yeah. this is going to be different, and of course, Essendon scoring. It can sort of fluctuate at the best of times, and I think we've seen probably the last six weeks as well that has dipped. But, yep. again, I think defensively too, they've always held strong this season too, and I think that's been the vastly significant improvement for the Bombers this season. I think, again, they'll hold 
extremely well against West Coast. And I think just there's just going to be, I think, too much again for what was pretty much a morale-boosting win anyway for West Coast, breaking out 16-game losing streak and everything that they've had to, well, all the adversity this season, right? So that's the other tick. But again, travelling across the Nullarbor, what, a four-hour flight to Melbourne and playing under the roof where the ball just ping-pongs around and Essendon do like to play under the Docklands roof. So that's the other part too. And I just can't see them dropping this game and really they can't afford to drop it right if they want to make finals. I'm sure they'll get it done. We're going to move over to the 4.35 p.m. game at the MCG. It's Hawthorne versus Collingwood. Hawthorne, very disappointing. I know both both you and I tipped them against the Saints and they just did not look like the usual Hawthorne or the Hawthorne they were against Richmond in those first three quarters. And Collingwood coming off a loss against your boys. We'll, we'll get into the Blues later. But it's Hawthorne versus Collingwood we're focusing on now. Hawthorne, in for them is Harry Morrison, Jack Scrimshaw, Jacob Kaczynski, and Ned Reeves. Out goes Cam McKenzie omitted. Lachlan Bramble omitted. Lloyd Meek omitted. Sam Frost injured. I'd like to say if he wasn't injured, he'd be omitted. <laughs> and Tyler <laughs> Brockman managed. And in for the Pies comes Ash Johnson and Bobby Hill. Out goes Mason Cox omitted. and not too happy about it, I'm sure. Oleg Markov is omitted, as well as Will hoskin Elliott. All right, Hawthorne versus Collingwood. I'd like to say Collingwood bounced back after they lost to the Blues, but Hawthorne have been playing some good football. I know against Saints, they weren't fantastic, but prior to that, I feel like they're so close. They've got the ingredients there, and they're starting to develop and show us some signs. It's just consistency, but I do think the Pies will be too strong. What do you think, Yuri? Agree too, Julian. That first quarter, just that was probably one of Hawthorne's most disappointing for the season, yeah. just allowed nine goals, and I thought – where was St Kilda's avenues to goal going to come from? And they just allowed it to slip in that first half now. And Sam Mitchell wasn't happy whatsoever once he came striding out of the coach's box and onto the field and gave his team an absolutely bake, which they yeah, needed, right? Because true. the effort for, yeah, the first time this season was just inexcusable. And, of course, they did answer the challenge afterwards, but ultimately yeah. it was too late because St Kilda kept at arm's length. And speaking of Sam Frost as well, right, James Sisley definitely wasn't too happy after what happened during, what, the third quarter with not the free kick. So, not. And I think Hawthorne fans must be thinking, that is a relief, right? Just please dispose of the ball, mate. That's all you need to do. Nothing oh, else. No. So, yeah, so... Well, hey, so that's just the way it goes, right? So Grimshaw's a lot le- more level-headed down there. It I, is, I like yeah. Grimshaw. yeah. Yeah, Grimshaw can really play that attacker's role too off half-back. And he sort of found himself out of favour, right, early mm. in the season and has regained his spot in Hawthorne's best 22. So, again, the question marks too is just pressure and I think just maintaining it, the rage right throughout as well. And Sam Mitchell, of course, spoke in his recent press conference as well and you, you're highly a big fan of Finn McGuinness as well and going on to Nick Dacos and saw last Friday night where George Hewitt blanked to Dacos and although Nick had 28 touches, he was only going, what, 53% disposal efficiency and just barely had his stardom impact on the game. So that's where as well. Yeah. yeah, and that's where he exactly looked to because the scabs that McGuinness has claimed over the last month, uh, that's been, yeah, Monumental. Harris Shears was amongst them. I will say he actually kept Jack Sinclair to four touches in the first quarter, and then they they just released that. Yeah. Tag. Obviously, they had enough of that, and Sinclair went nuts. But oh my gosh, when he's on his opponents, he keeps them to ridiculously low disposals. I think he kept Sheasel to two touches in the third quarter. If my memory he did correctly, and he was taking kickouts as well. So, sheesh, I'd love to see him go to Dacos, but I'm not sure because I don't know if he goes in the middle that much anymore. But I'd love to see him go in there. I think they have to anyway, Julian yeah. too, because yeah, that's pretty much where he was drafted as. 
No, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah, he was drafted as a midfielder and now yeah. eventually sort of found himself on the outer and they've given him this new role and he's seized it with both hands. So why not throw the challenge upon and tag Dacos as Hewitt did only yeah. last Friday night? So that's my big thing as well. And, of course, Collingwood getting Ash Johnson back in the team. Yeah. I think they definitely – when you look back in hindsight now, they definitely – miss that extra forward and especially yeah. with his leaping ability and taking those spectacular aerial marks is that was a big loss for Collingwood last week and Bobby Hill as well he had that illness so yeah. he didn't play whatsoever and he had that big impact against the Blues in the first meeting back in round 10 so mm. I think at ground level too just the whole of Collingwood's ball movement and just transition from the back half is where Hawthorne are extremely vulnerable at the best of times and look for the Magpies to exploit that once more. And I think there's one particular area where maybe Hawthorne can sort of take a leaf out of Carlton's book and try to just get Mitch Lewis to put get Darcy Moore deep into the goal square and take away that intercept marking, even if that means have allowing Nathan Murphy to sort of roam about, but maybe bring in that defensive forward onto him. Maybe that's just an area that the yeah. Hawks can look to may just try something out of the blue, perhaps, and give themselves a chance of winning because you've got to try these, throw the magnets around rather, Julian, against Collingwood and try something that's a little bit out of the box. And I think we saw again with Carlton last Friday night how they did that too. So I think Hawthorne with adventurous ball movement and through the handball chains, when that gets going, they're absolutely on. But trying to cover it against Collingwood where they zone so well and man yeah. up, that's the big question mark. So mm. I think we sort of put those elements together, easier said in theory, but harder out on the football field. So, again, I think the way Collingwood played last Friday night was the unusual sales, and it had a lot to do with the Carlton pressure. So I don't see them having two very poor, porous performances in a row for mine. Yep, let's hope it's a cracker of a game. Nonetheless, we're going to move over to GMHBA Stadium. It's the Geelong Cats versus Port Adelaide Power, 7.25pm. In for the Geelong Cats comes Asaba Radigalia. He's back, but out goes Mark Blixarves and Tom Hawkins with injuries. In for Port Adelaide comes Tom Jonas and Willie Rioli. Out goes, as you probably are aware, Alir Alir and Lockie Jones with their concussion injuries. And even more stiff than those two is Francis Evans kicking four goals straight and getting omitted. Wow. I guess they rate Willie Rioli over him. Geelong dropped a game at home against Fremantle. Absolutely crucial game. They had to win and they blew it. How do they go against Port Adelaide? Well, it should be 50-50, I think, Julian, too, especially with Geelong's losses with Hawkins and Blitzarves. And Chris Scott basically said that Blitzarves is irreplaceable. So they've got to try and find an extra midfielder to really try and take the pressure off, too, because Blitzarves plays those assortment of different midfield roles from the tagger to being on ball to basically playing as a pinch hit Ruckman. So he's just super versatile and they're going to miss him for... They, Geelong basically lists their injuries as basically medium, short-term, long-term. So we don't know exactly how many weeks he's going to be out for and same with Hawkins too. So that's the hardest way to get on for Geelong. With Port Adelaide too, the loss of Aaliyah Lee, especially down back, yeah. that's where I think for Port, that's where concerns just creep up once more because that the same issue against Carlton only three weeks ago, right, when Tom Jonas, I think, came back into the team that game and they just completely got towed up because they basically put Aaliyah Aaliyah deep into the goal square, Carlton, as their 
method to take away his intercept marking. And now that he's no longer there and they've got to bank upon Trent McKenzie, who's yeah. I think what, six foot three, and Tom Jonas is basically the same height too. Yeah. And why can't this be a game for Jeremy Cameron to basically really get the whips cracking once more, right? Because we saw through the first nine rounds why he had 34 goals to his name and since then he's only registered 10 goals. And, of course, we heard the news during the week. I think what he was hitting that unprovoked attack as well. I think that was only, I think, yesterday or a couple of days ago. So, hey, it's all set up for him to really cash in and really carry the team on his back. And we've seen, of course, Patrick Dangefield, of course, come under the spotlight too. His last four or five weeks have been substantially quiet by his lofty standards. So mm-hmm. I think look for Danger to really galvanise Geelong over the line if they can get those four points and keep themselves well in the top eight thick of the hunt. So yeah. I think one other part too for Geelong, I think the midfielders, they've had to really blend in that extra depth of youngsters as well. And we've seen with basically Max Holmes being thrown through there, Tom Atkins as well, seen him thrown there, of course, on what midway through last season and Tanner Bruin too has played some good footy. Just those extra midfield grunt is what Geelong needs, I think, against Port Adelaide with Zach Butters and Connor Rosie and, of course, with Travis Boak and Ollie Wines and Jason Horn francis I think he's still out, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So that's the other part to it. So, again, Port Adelaide haven't won there since, what, round 21, 2007. So they've lost their last eight encounters. But there have been a couple of close ones there too, Julian. I think 2017 went right down to the wire, I think. I think it was Dangerfield who kicked the winning goal, if I'm not mistaken, too, that night. It was a Thursday night game, which the Cats prevailed by two points. So I think this game's going to be super tight right from start to finish. And Geelong, they don't want to drop another one at home, right? Because this is where they've got to cash in. This is where teams basically come down to the haunted fortress and can't win unless you're Fremantle or the Giants in recent years. <laughs> Crazy that Freo went two and zero against them. I think we on our podcast last week were saying Geelong should just cruise to victory. It was a round of upsets, even though I felt like our predictions were so good and our analysis was so in depth. There were so many crazy upsets last week, weren't there? <laughs> oh yeah, I think. Do you think we're expecting another two out of nine this week? But <laughs> <laughs> right, if anything three and above, I'd be happy for. Um, yeah, likewise. Moving into Giants Stadium. I know I go for the Saints, but I tell you what, I am very bandwagon when it comes to the Giants. I am loving the Orange Tsunami at the moment. Are they seven straight? Is that right? Yes, seven straight. I love it. The Orange Tsunami is in full effect. The Giants take on Sydney Swans. And geez, these two teams always have a battle to the line. Jesse Hogan and Tom Green, two big ins for the Giants. Out goes Cadman, Cumming, and Angwin. In for the Swans comes Aaron Francis and Tom Hickey. Out goes Dylan, oh, sorry, not Dylan, Dane Rampey injured. Justin McInerney injured. And Lance Franklin, it says injured, but I want to say injured slash retired. Buddy, an incredible career. Sadly, didn't end on the greatest note, but doesn't take away from anything he's done. He's achieved so much in his wonderful career. I'm sure we'll talk about that on the Tuesday AFL show. But we're going to get into dissecting this game, the Giants versus Swans. I want the Giants to go eight straight. What do you think, Yuri? Yeah, it's going to be tight again, Julian, and that's where the ever-growing rivalry of the Battle of the Bridges really gained legs over the last seven years. We spoke off air before recording today's episode that from basically the 2016 qualifying final, I think that spiteful clash, right, where both teams just went hammer and tongs at one another. And I think Shane Mumford laid two bone-crunching tackles on – Shane's disappeared – the name's disappeared out of my head now if I 
get back a little bit later. But he was instrumental that afternoon and the Giants just ran right. And I think we've seen from there that it's grown ever closer, even in such a rugby league dominated state such as New South Wales, that mm. there's so much incentive on the line on Saturday night, especially with the Giants gunning for they're already on the club record seven game winning streak. And Sydney, their last basically I'd say six, seven weeks of flipped their season around. They've won their last three in a row. And their percentage is extremely healthy too, Julian. It's about 111. So mm. that's that's what could potentially play out. If they can win on Saturday night, which I truly believe they're every chance of doing whatsoever. The big loss too, Dane Rampey, that's significant considering, yeah, yes, he's undersized, but he can take on the league's best key forwards too. So that is a significant loss for Sydney. And Justin McInerney, we've his flexibility to play off half-back and on the wing too and providing so much to the dash, which Sydney already has at peaks at lengths. But just to lose that extra carry, I think that's a loss in itself. And I think too, what we've seen with the Giants and you spoke about too, Julian, the orange tsunami came into full effect in the second half and just yeah. ran its waves over the Western Bulldogs and Incredible. getting Tom Green back. Yeah, Tom Green back for his first mm. game since round 17 against Hawthorne from the hamstring. Yeah, That's a significant in too because depending on he, who he goes to as well for the Tigers role because we saw Callum Ward do a great job on Bontempelis. We spoke about a few minutes back that where do they go to in terms of the Tigers role with Tom Green and whether they go to, say, Chad Warner or do they go to a Luke Parker? Mm. So those are sort of the floating questions, I think, before the opening bounce to see where they saw match up upon. And I think that's the most curious part of it all, especially in the midfield matchups, right? And the Giants have had so many of their veterans just basically last, well, this year alone have just returned back to their old selves and the ones that were delivering the Giants into deep into finals in 2016, 2017, 2018, made the semi-final, And of course, making that grand final in 2019, Stephen Cornelio, Nick Haynes and, of course, with Sam Taylor since his return from a hamstring injury back in round 14. So that's the question mark as well too, Julie, for Sydney, is with Joel Amati and Logan McDonald, with Sam Taylor. Who does Taylor go on to first? Mm. I'd like to – what do you think about – where do you think the Giants go with that matchup first? What do you think? Well, I think they probably go to Amati th- first for mine, I think, mm. because they've already got Jack Buckley there. And Jack Buckley is having another terrific year with his intercept marking and really being that. Mm. Yeah, Himmelberg too can play. Well, Himmelberg's more the third tall defender now in a way too because now they've got Nick Haynes there. So they've got a sort of tolls there, which they can basically just throw onto either McDonald or Marty. Mm. But then the same, then the conundrum goes to with the smalls with Tom Papley and Connor Iden. I think Iden goes to him for mine. I think we talked about last week the super strong backline, and you know, as such, Isaac Cumming, who is a fantastic player, cannot even get in the side. No, no, and that's where spots go off for grabs, right, Julian? Too when you have those yeah. layers of depth that are coming through, not just within the best twenty-two, but also at the second tier level, and I think that's what the Giants have done extremely well because this is almost the same team to last year. I finished sixteenth with only six wins, and the complete turnaround, right, is. I think is completely off the charts. And I think yeah. you can draw parallels to what Collingwood did from 2021 to last season. So I think just it's, I think again, it's going to be high scoring. And 
okay. in round seven, there were 33 goals combined. So I just see it sort of playing out that way and both teams just want to get the ball on all costs. That's all we're going to see, I think, come Saturday night too, unless there's a complete change in tactics from after the first quarter. But I think from the outset, look for teams to – look for both sides rather to go full power at one another. Just to continue on that, I just want to point out the Giants, their last nine games. So they've won their last eight out of nine games. And some of those teams that they beat were the Cats, the Demons, the Crows, the Bulldogs, right? Amazing teams. And and further to that, the one game that they lost, so they won eight out of their last nine games, the one game they lost was that game against Tigers by six points where they actually had the game and the Tigers snatched it in the last minute of the game. So really, geez, the Giants are absolutely flying at the moment. So I'm going to tip them comfortably after that. And, and as you pointed out greatly with Tom Green coming back, but Geez, Cullen Water stepped up as well, as you talked about him in that tag role, and everyone's just playing a role. I think I mentioned Brent Daniels last week on the podcast, and he had another great game. I'm just super excited about the Orange Tsunami. I could talk about them all night, so we must move on. <laughs> Funnily enough, the AFL website has actually gone down, so I've had to pivot um, to another site to get the teams. Uh, we're going to talk about North Melbourne versus Melbourne at Blundstone Arena. It's always weird games down there, as you know. In for North Melbourne comes Tom Powell, Lazaro, and Cunnington. This might be the extended um, interchanges. Um, and it says no outs. And then for Melbourne, in comes Grundy, Spargo, Hibbert, and Sparrow. And out goes Wojoden. So obviously, yeah, these are extended interchanges. All right. So Melbourne, uh, they they came strong against Richmond in the last quarter, and they showed why they're the Ds. Max Gorn has had three almost best on ground performances in a row, with, which Grundy probably doesn't enjoy too much. But he's playing fantastic football. I think they're starting to gel. I'm sad that Oliver isn't back yet, but the Ds are starting to find their chemistry and their groove again. I'm sure they get the win against North Melbourne. Oh, they should, Julian. In the last four meetings, they've won by an average of 56 points. So that pretty much tells you the story. Saw in round seven, they, basically the quarter, the game was effectively over by quarter time. They kicked eight goals to one and ended up running away by 90 points. So again, those sort of layers point to another comprehensive Melbourne victory. And speaking of Clayton Oliver too, Julian, he should be back for the Saturday night clash against Carlton. I think that's where all reports are heading to at yep. the moment as well, because Melbourne's, I think, st- not strength and conditioning coach, but their fitness guy also, I think it was their me- medical guy as well. They did an injury report a couple of days ago and basically said that Oliver's basically up and running with the main training group and that he should be good to go the following week. So that's where, yeah, he, he should be available and raring to go for his first game since round 10 against Port Adelaide, against the Blues. But I think, again, Melbourne's forward set up and what they did last Sunday against Richmond, have they potentially found the right mix, right, with Jacob Van Ruin and also mm. swinging Harrison Petty up forward? And, and people, <laughs> people should be surprised that Harrison Petty was actually drafted as a forward. I think that's yeah. where you sort of need to look at first because that's yeah. where he first began his career before shifting down back and having the success that he's had. But, again, they are in the same position as what they were two years ago when they were trying to figure out their forward line. And scoring basically was on the same levels. They had that drought there for a number of weeks, decided to tinker up the lineup back then, brought back Ben Brown, and his scoring just went off the roof. And we've seen the same thing the last three weeks with Melbourne's scoring output where they're basically averaging over 100 points now because those changes, they kicked 20 goals against the Tigers. I think it was their second highest score of the season, just behind their round three game against Sydney when they kicked 21-8, 134. So they've found the right balance now too, Julian. And I think going into September, they must keep Jake Melksham there because 
He's replicating his 2018 form where he kicked the 32 goals. They get Bailey Fritch back basically at the start of finals. I think he's still another, I think, four to five weeks away from that foot injury, but he's gradually progressing from that, which is good news for Melbourne fans. So I think they've basically got their best 20. They've already got their best 22 on paper, but just the forward line, they've almost got it up and going now. And that is just perfect timing in the lead up to finals. And I think yet again, for the D's as well, contested possession, that's the number one foray. It has been their foray for the last five years. And the vast gap between them and North Melbourne is, it's rough, man. It's absolutely by the length of Flemington straight. I think Melbourne are first in contested bowl and North are about 17. So that's all that's pretty much got to tell you. If the Kangas can't win that, then yeah, it's going to be a long afternoon down at Blundstone Arena for my and Julian. So again, there's more incentive for Melbourne, especially the way they're playing. And who knows at this stage, they could well get a top two spot. You never know with Melbourne. We're going to move over to St. Kilda versus Colton. That is my team versus Yuri's team. How funny that. 3.20pm <laughs> at Marvel Stadium for the Saints. Bradley Hill, Jack Hayes, Max Kinn and Tim Membry are in contention. I'm, I know Brad Hill will definitely be on the side. I'd like to say King too, but he's listed on the extended interchange. So I, I guess it'll be clear in a fitness test. And Zach Jones goes out injured. In for Carlton, we say this every week, Ed Kerno is listed, Jackson Bins, Josh Honey, Sam Durden, and Zach Fisher are all the names in contention. Out goes Adam Chera, that is a big loss, as well as Mitch McGovern, another big loss. Last week, I was saying to tip the Hawks against the Saints. I must admit, I didn't give us much of a chance, and we surprised us. Like I can't believe how much we scored and how accurate we were kicking, and we played some Saints football. This week, I tend to give ourselves a good chance against Carlton. I know Carlton are in fantastic form, under the roof at Marvel. You just never know what the Saints. Yuri... <laughs> it's me versus you. What do you think about this one? Yeah, it's one of those sides, right, Julian? Every time we go up against the Saints, it's a bogey team of ours since <laughs> yeah. basically the end of 2001, right? And <laughs> I think since the start of 2012. So Carlton have lost 12 or 17 encounters against the Saints. I think, again, that's a long enough history and a long enough sort of line of information to take away that they always seem to get the staggers against the Saints. And again, the same, unfortunately, formalities occurred in round six and you can look at probably the second half and there was a crucial period there, I think in the final five, six minutes of the quarter where St Kilda got those two goals and it just seemed to break the back of the Blues for some reason. I don't know exactly why to that point, but they kept just significantly breaking down every time they entered their forward 50 in that second half, Carlton. And, of course, with Dougal Howard and Callum Wilkie, doing a magnificent job that afternoon as well. And Josh Battle too. It was just one of those long second halves, which the Blues couldn't quite turn around. And I think, of course, a disposal count, that can be very disparaging, and but also very not accurate at the best of times. And I think it was 446 to 360. But out of all the Blues elite disposal getters that afternoon, Julian, so I think Chera had 39, Walsh had 38, Cripps had 34, Akers had 36, Hewitt yeah. had 29. Yep. How many of those really had an impact on the game? Not mm. too many for mine. Mm. Just looking back on it now, it there seemed to be very small, dinky chips that didn't really hurt the Saints. It allowed St. Kilda to form back into what Ross Lyon loves to do, and that's to clog up one side of the field and force the team to kick long. And that's exactly what went down in basically from late in the third quarter onwards and basically couldn't reverse the tide from there. So, again, 
I think, Julian, just one for you too. Do you think Ross does resort back to that defensive grinded out style method come Sunday afternoon or does he stick to that flair which St Kilda hadn't registered 100 points since the round four game against Gold Coast? We'd love to see. I, I think sadly you're going to see the St Kilda, the defensive St Kilda where we flood uh, and it's a sloppy low scoring game. I, I really hope it's not but that's that's what I tend to, my gut tells me that. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's the, I think, a real sort of unknown I think going into the game is how do, how do they possibly attack a Tudor Saints? That's the other part. And I think for Carlton mm. as well, McGovern's loss, that's major because he also Huge. provides that extra booming kick as well. And yeah. he's one of the most riskiest, not riskiest kicks, but one of the most daring guys I've with noticed ball that. in hand. Oh, that's yeah. a great call. I have noticed that. He always takes that dangerous kick in the corridor. Yep. And, he, and he also is on the, um, the end of them as well. He's, yeah, he's so that's really the big up. part. Mm. Yeah, that's the major loss too for... Carlton going into the game and I think of course that opens the door for Paddy Dow to play full game too which is great because yeah. he's absolutely applied his time in the VFL and just accumulated the ball at will and basically mm. being best on ground each week for the, Nor- for the Northern Blues so that was great for, for Paddy and I think the other one too Zach Fisher whether because he hasn't played I think since I think it was round eight if I'm not mistaken he's only played eight games this season he played the first seven games got dropped Displayed very good form in the VFL, came back for one game and got dropped again. I think it might have been round 12, if I'm not mistaken. I think that Zach Fisher last played for Carlton. So, mm. again, whether he does start as sub, we don't know exactly what may happen come once the team, the full 22 is announced come, I think, late tomorrow afternoon. So, it should be an absolute cracker of a game, Julian, and under the roof at Docklands. And again, the bogey side, that's the one guy so swell and <laughs> you just always seem to just break us apart. So I, know. I guess we'll find out, right, come 3.20 when the ball gets bounced. Exactly right. Let's hope it's a cracker. I will be there and looking forward to it. We're going to go to the last game of the round. It's Optus Stadium, Fremantle versus Brisbane Lions. Sheesh, this is another hard game to tip. For Freo, Brennan Cox, Matthew Johnson and Nathan Wilson are in, or potentially in, sorry, I should say. And for Brisbane Lions, Darcy Fort, Devin Robertson, Jackson Pryor, Tom Fullerton, and Zach Bailey are all names in contention. And out goes Coleman and Oscar McInerney. Uh, if it wasn't for Brisbane's disappointing loss against Gold Coast, I'd be saying Brisbane cruise through to win this. Given it's up the stadium and Frio have some, you know, a nice win under the belt, maybe they show a bit of fight. What do you think, Yuri? Do the Lions cruise over the Dockers here or are the Dockers going to show some fight? I don't think they'll cruise through, Julian. And I think... Mm. The only reason why I say that is because of last year's game at Optus in round 12 where Fremantle matched Brisbane speed for speed that afternoon and Mm. ran away to win. I think they won by 14 points was the final result. So they got back to what they basically want to do as a team's identity in terms of speed because they have plenty of that up forward, right? And last week, we are trying to figure out exactly about their smalls. Last month, they'd been extremely quiet. They didn't have impact on games. But last week against Geelong, they found the same solutions they did against the Cats all the way back in round 10 at Optus Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Get them out the back. And I think that's where Brisbane can be vulnerable if you get them with speed through – because they're not the quickest midfield, right? Mm. They're probably – I wouldn't say they're the slowest out of the 18 teams, but they're not overly fast. So that's, right. that's where I think Fremal get the advantage first. And this is also – I think the ruck duel, of course, we've not seen Sean Darcy up against Oscar McInerney for this game, but 
with Darcy Ford up against Luke Jackson, Darcy Ford does throw his weight around. There's no mistake about that. And so does Luke Jackson too. I think if you're Fremantle and you want to look at it this way too, why not try and run around Darcy Ford as much as you can if you're the Dockers? Why not try and do that? And I think that's the one advantage they have with Luke Jackson is to roam him around and try and push up the ground and push deep forward and make Fort accountable. Because Brisbane, of course, love to have Harris Andrews roam around and play Jack Payne on the opposition's number one key forward. So we'll see that again come Sunday too. And that's going to be another great test for Jay Amos to go up against Jack Payne, who's just recently signed that long-term deal to remain with the Brisbane Lions. So I think just matching through midfield-wise, that's going to be another great test because Brayshaw and Sarong will hold their own. There's no gang around that. But also coming with Matthew Johnson too, and he's shown very promising signs this season. He's basically the Nat 5 module mold basically into the future as well. What does he stand at? I think six foot three in the old metric scale. So that's going to be a great test going up against Lockie Neal, who will be looking to bounce back after that season low 17 disposals, which was his last disposal count since round 22 last year against your Saints, Julian, which mm. Marcus Winhager effectively tagged him out of the game, held in just 16 disposals that night. So mm. I think those are the other pointers too, I think, as well. And Brisbane getting Zach Bailey back, that's that's instrumental with his creativity, not just through the midfield but up forward as well when Brisbane just need that extra galvanisation spark up there too to take the pressure off Charlie Cameron, Eric Hipwood and also Lincoln McCarthy and Joe Danaher. And again, Fremail too, their defence against Geelong was... That was sublime last week. Alex Pierce. that was arguably out of the length and amount of games he's played in his career, right? He's had those injuries throughout, but that was by far his best outing, right? The job that he did on Jeremy Cameron, I think he had that very important mark in the final minutes of the game, which thwarted basically the final Geelong attack to really trim the margin down to a point and give themselves one final shot. He was tremendous. So was Luke Ryan. So I think Fremantle's defence can hold up too. But then the same posing question is if Brisbane just run free and Fremantle don't bring that same intensity as well and their small forwards aren't as impactful as what they were last week against Geelong, then it probably will coincide with a loss. But if they stick with what they did for long enough and just keep the crowd engaged because it's going to be over, what, 40 or 45,000. They'll get a big crowd in any way to Dockers. And although finals does seem like a pipe dream, pipe dream, shall I say, anyway, with their very low percentage, I think, you know, stands at 89, which is the worst of any of the sides looking for a top eight position, they yep. stay right in there. Then they can, they can grab the four points because Brisbane, of course, their traveling record is 50 50. And that's been debated about, especially at the MCG, but up the stadium too. That's the other part as well. I think Fremantle can, somehow get the points if they're really daring and really willing to do so. But I just feel Brisbane as though there's too much on the line to relinquish a top four spot and potentially perhaps getting a home qualifying final. That's the other driving point, right, to getting the four points with after this only three matches remaining. Absolutely. Just from a fantasy point of view um, uh, as well, I'm not sure if we point out, Hayden Young actually moved into the middle as a tagger, so he might go to Lockheed Neal as well. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting battle. 
that sadly brings us to the end. Jeez, that feels like it just <laughs> flies by. Honestly, if, if one day we get the uh, all clear to, to have like a three-hour show, trust me, we'll make that time. <laughs> we can, oh, we can absolutely. talk a lot more about these games. Uh, footy is just so exciting this year. I think we're honestly, we're in for one of the most exciting finals we're ever going to witness. And I say that with confidence, given that every team is so even. And we have seen that Collingwood and Port Adelaide are now beatable. And you look at teams like Colden and GWS, the way they're peaking late. It's absolutely fantastic. The Saints are still up there in the mix. Oh, it's just going to be an absolute cracker of a final series. And these last rounds uh, hold significant value. So thank you, Yuri, very much for dissecting those games. Before we close, I just want to point out that Yuri is heavily involved in the sport and social media world. So Yuri, why don't you let the listeners know what you have coming out? Yeah, so there's been a couple of articles I've written over the last two days, Julian. So I did one on Lance Buddy Franklin, just the stellar career they had, right? I think that's been covered ever since he announced his retirement on Monday afternoon. And the other one that I did as well too is just basically another one as well. Well, it's going to be coming out in the next couple of days, just on the Swans and Giants as well, just the amount of intrigue into the 26th, I'm pretty sure it's the 26th installment of the Battle of the Bridge. And those are always great contests when the sides meet. And also just did five talking points from round 22, just to sort of take a bit more of a closer look at turn just where some sides have turned the, their fortunes around their way and maybe areas of the field that they've significantly improved upon. So those are a couple that I've released. The other one should be out in the next couple of days. And hopefully as well, we've got an NBA podcast as well come Sunday as well. That's the other show. Hopefully, fingers crossed that we'll go and do it last Sunday, but of course, just a few things didn't quite follow the way too. And also, did another podcast yesterday, the first one, which has come out too. It's called the Sporting Mate Sporting Mates Podcast as well. Just basically the very maiden episode as well, just the introduction of ourselves and touched upon the Matildas run thus far. They're through to another quarterfinal and looking to get past oh, there for the first time in history. So there's a lot as well in the FIFA Women's World Cup, which is just gained legs right from the opening day of the tournament. So yeah, plenty to have a look at as well. And the grind never stops, hey, Julian? The grind never stops when it comes to sport, especially when you're like Yuri and you know all sports so, so well. Fantastic to have you. Very privileged to have you as part of the Mojo Sports Network. With that being said, yes, this is the Mojo Sports Network AFL show. We hope you enjoyed the round preview and we will join you next week, hopefully with our third host, Nathan, who will dissect the fantasy aspect of the round previews. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for the Mojo Sports Network. We hope to see you next week on Mojo Sports. See you later, guys. 